Good morning. Happy early Thanksgiving. I hope you'll come and I know you're going to come and join us for our Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Every one of you are invited. We would love to have you. Uh, and uh, just thank you for those, uh, everyone who has supplied uh, the food and for everyone who has worked. I know that our, our uh, ladies and our men's ministry, they work tirelessly and they put this on and it's a lot of work. Uh, those tables don't roll themselves out. Those chairs don't fold themselves out. That takes Saturdays. That takes sacrifice. And it's a lot of hard work. And so we just want to thank everyone who has uh, dedicated their time for that. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 16 this morning. But just hold your place there for the time being. How many of you have seen this icon before behind me on the screen? Seen it? If you, if you have, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on. You've seen it, right? It's been uh, stapled to bulletin boards. It's put on posters. Some of us may have... Um, glazed ceramics on our table, and it's called a cornucopia. And uh, it, that's the Latin for uh, horn of plenty. Uh, corn, cornucopia means, I saw that, cornucopia means, or corn, uh, cornu means is the Latin for horn, and copia is the, mount, or is the Latin word for abundance or plenty. And it actually comes from uh, Greek mythology. Um, there's multiple stories. Uh, one story has Zeus when he was taken away from, uh, when he was uh, taken to, the, to Mount Ida where he would be protected by the nymphs to be uh, kept from his father Kronos who was trying to eat his children. <laughs> Very weird. Um, and he was taken there and he was playing around and he ended up knocking off this goat who was the goddess of plenty and he knocked off her horn and uh, her horn fell, and it was able, after he had consecrated it as a gift to those nymphs who had taken care of Zeus in Mount Ida, it was consecrated, and it would continuously give out a bounty of sustenance. So we see this horn, and it symbolizes this giving of food. It's a, it's a never-ending source of food. I remember I had a professor of political ideologies at... Um, Florida International University, he was a great professor, one of my favorites of all time, and I remember he was also a, a communist, by the way, self, self-proclaimed communist, I'm not calling him a bad name there, um, and he believed that there could be a day where living in a technological age, we might be able to make a cornucopia machine. He believed in a technology that could just produce, that, that that was coming, that there was a technology that could reproduce food over and over and over again and take care of our basic needs. Some of you remember the dog patch cartoons and you remember the shmoo. The shmoo was this, uh, it was this little creature, mythical creature that Every time you looked at him, if you looked at him with hunger, it was said that he would lay down and die from ecstasy. Their, the whole point to schmooze was they were there to give 
pleasure and to take care of humans. And their whole, their whole life was short because it was there and they could use their bodies to lay eggs or to give milk. And they would provide, provide, and provide. And what all of these stories have in common is a human understanding of the world and really that human appetite to erase the curse of the fall, which was that by the sweat of our brow, we would have to work the field, that if we wanted there to be fruit, if we wanted there to be sustenance, it wasn't just going to come. We actually had to work for it. And what this cornucopia is to represent is kind of what I think all of us would look for. It's why we play that little scratch-off game, $1,000 a week for life. That would be our cash cornucopia, right? And so we put these on our table at Thanksgiving time. These horns to really thank God and to remind us of all that God has given us. In our Christian home. We understand that all of this comes from the Lord. That we will gather around tables. A veritable smorgasbord of food. It's going to be at uh, Danny and Peggy's house I think this year. There's going to be food from every nation around the table. And we are all going to engorge ourselves on this. And then fall into an L-tryptophan coma induced state. For at least two hours while we watch Dallas lose. And then we're going to wake up and have a turkey sandwich later that night. And we just eat and eat and eat. It's a way of celebrating our abundance of living here in America. And we're going to hold hands and we're going to thank God for our families and for our homes and for this food that he made. And we're going to thank God for living in a great country and for our education and for our new job and for our health. And we're going to thank God for all of these things and we're going to even thank God for his son, right? As Christians, that's what we do. But this year, I want you to focus specifically on his son, but also on his spirit. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be thankful to God for all of the things he's given to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We know that everything that we have has come from the Lord's hands, not our own. But I want us this year as Christians to elevate our thanksgiving by giving thanks to God for the two greatest gifts that he's ever given to us. Namely, his son and his spirit. D.A. Carson says, if we see the truth of the gospel, that is, if we grasp the truth of the gospel, the word gospel, I use it so many times, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. The word gospel means the message of Christ atoning death on the cross. That is, that Christ died for your sins my sins, the whole world's sins, and for those who believe on his name, you will be saved. That is the gospel. And Carson says, to those of us who see, and by see he means understand it, not with simply our minds, but with our lives, the truth of the gospel, 
It has nothing to do with our brilliance or our insight. It has to do with the Spirit of God. If we should express unqualified gratitude to God for the gift of His Son, we should express no less gratitude to God for the gift of the Spirit who enables us to grasp the gospel of His Son. Yes, we are thankful and should be eternally thankful for what God did by sending His Son. But every work of God is Trinitarian. And we must give eternal glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. They, together as one in essence, three in person, have produced our salvation. So that from greatest to least, from first to last, God will get the glory over our salvation. Yes, Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins. We know, we love, we accept that. But it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. I want to kick off this Thanksgiving season... Simply not from turning away from your appreciation and your thankfulness for everything else, but by focusing, honing in on your thankfulness that God has given you the spirit to receive the message of his son. Let's pray. Father, a great mystery has been revealed to us in this time, namely the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole world has heard this gospel, almost the whole world. Many more will hear, many more still need to hear. But we know, Lord, that today your word has gone and will continue to go into the farthest reaches. You have produced it, Lord God, to be this way. Many, 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 many have heard. But only few are chosen. Lord Jesus, those were your words. You were the one who said, many will hear, but only few are chosen. Who are the ones who are chosen but those whom God foreknew from before the foundation of the world? This great mystery to us that you have presented to us in verbal form, a message of the cross. But to those who stake their lives on it, it is the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we want to just praise you this week. Personally, Lord, I know I was going astray. And it was your Holy Spirit who gave me life when I was dead in trespasses and sin. So I thank you, Father. I only believe in you because you made that possible. What a mystery. I don't know why you chose me. There was nothing impressive about me. You and I know how unimpressive I am in my thoughts. How unimpressive I am in my intellect. How unimpressive I am in my life. And yet I have the knowledge of the wisdom of God in me. Where did that come from? It didn't come from my parents. It didn't come from this church. It did not come from my intellect. It came by the power of the Spirit to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for giving me new life. This is all your work, and we give it to you this week. 
We praise you. Amen. Well, if you can believe it, what I just said is rather unpopular in many churches today. Namely, that it is God who is the author of our salvation. That apart from his spirit, we could not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at your Bible this morning, if you would. Verse 6. I'm going to read through this from verse 6 all the way to verse 16. And then we're going to take a little time explaining that. And then we're going to apply it. Paul, following his argument that we read last week, now begins with this. He says in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. He simply means the, the age of this world, this dying, fleeting world. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us. Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and interpretation of his word. Let's look here first at the context Context is a fancy word for setting. When people make statements, we have to always ask, what was the context of that statement? Today, we're living in a soundbite culture. We get tweets, 140 characters, and someone says something that seems wild and crazy and insane and way out there, and we need to know the context to understand it. The context may be hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. It could be sarcasm. But so many times we wrongfully incriminate people because we don't understand context. One of the things that we love to do is go back to the ancient writers and rip words that they've said outside of their context. And we fail to understand the true meaning of those words without the context. So we need to understand this passage within this setting. And the context is the same context that we had last week. Paul has been developing an argument to the Corinthian church. They were desperate, in desperate need of correction 
concerning their appetite for human wisdom. The church had been divided into factions. A faction is a small group of people. They were all at each other's uh, heads. It was kind of like hungry, hungry hippos. Everybody was grabbing their nuggets and pulling them back into their own team. One was team Paul. The other was team Cephas, which is Peter. The other team was team Apollos. The other team was Christ. It's kind of like the way we do this today when we talk about our churches. I don't know if you've seen this, but the way that we treat our churches here in South Florida is we put like these little, these really cool bumper stickers on our window. Somebody told me earlier this week they go to, they go to a church, CBG. And I was like, what's CBG? What is that? Is that like FBI? CBG. It was so cool. And the way he said it was like, are you part of the lingo? And I wasn't. I was folding my clothes and was like, what the heck is CBG? It's Church by the Glade. Oh, cool. Nothing to say about Church by the Glades, only the way that it was presented. What are you bragging about there is my question. I should have asked, but I didn't because I was folding my clothes at the laundromat. So I said, what are you bragging about? What do you mean? I go to NWB. See. <laughs> what is that? We're bragging about church and church leaders. And Paul saw this in Corinth that they were, they were trying to say, I'm more important to God because I'm a part of this church. In the grand economy of Christianity, in the grand economy of life, I'm more important. Why? Because I'm associated with that man, that church. And Paul says, oh my gosh, you are in desperate need of correction. Paul says, I hope, I hope that your gospel is bigger than who it came from. We talk about, I remember we were at this, we were at this apologetics conference. It was me, it was Jerry, it was uh, Johan, and um, it was Dad. And I remember this guy, he was standing there, there was 5,000 people there. And it was the who's who of apologetic speakers there. We were all like, you know, we were like the way, like, we were like Christian um, groupies. And we were standing there with our books, hoping that they'd sign our Bibles. And uh, we wanted to meet them, and it was so neat. Um, well, I mean, for us, because I'm a nerd. And I remember this guy comes up to my dad and he says, uh, he says to my dad, who are you here to see? And my dad, as shrewd as he could be, says, who am I here to see? He says, I'm here to hear all of these men. He said, oh, well, we're here to see Ravi Zacharias. And... My dad pulled us aside, and he, you remember this, Johan? He said to us, you see, they treat these men like superstars. Oh, I was doing that. We do that. We make our Christianity about which pretty church we go to, which superstar we go to, how we dressed on Easter, how nice the new screens are, how nice the pews are, how nice the baptismal pool is, Instead of the message, we care more about the package. You know, you can get the same cologne down at, at Walgreens that you can get at Macy's. The difference is the box. 
My mom used to get these colognes. We used to call them bootleg colognes, you know, because it felt like it was bootleg. Fendi, where's the F? That just says Endy. Like, that's bootleg. <laughs> but, but she found, so should we get these bootleg colognes, you know? Uh, what was that, violets? What was that little Spanish cologne? What is it? Oh, my mom liked white diamonds. Yes, she did. But she didn't buy bootleg for her. <laughs> Daddy took care of mama. For the rest of us, it was brute. Um, well, it was the bootleg brute. We couldn't afford the real brute. So I remember she started, she found this hookup, you know. It was in Hialeah because all hookups are in Hialeah. And I remember, I remember it was the real thing. And she was able to get these colognes at a discount price because they didn't come in the box. The package wasn't that nice. But who cares? Who cares about the box? That's not why I buy it. I don't buy it to walk around uh, 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 Aventura and show off, but some of us do. We walk around with our bags to show to the world, look at who we are. Our status is important because we're associated with the finer things in life. And Paul's saying, this is the problem in the church. You care about the finer things in life. You are praising the messenger and not the message. And I want to ask you this morning, have you believed in the message or the messenger? The message transcends the flesh. It transcends our gifts. And so Paul says here, look at what he says. See, the whole context of his argument, it rests in this. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that wisdom of men there, he's referring to their ability to put on a good act. It was a whole show. Greeks were taught the skill of rhetoric. They knew how to speak well. They could talk well. It was a whole presentation. And nobody cared necessarily about the content, but they cared about the way it was packaged. And that's today's church too. It's so scary the way we approach church. I am telling you, I am genuinely afraid of the way the average American consumes church. We consume church the way we consume everything else. Even the word consume is the wrong word to use for church. The attitude of what can I get out of this? Did I get an experience? But the church is not built upon rhetoric or experience. It's built upon a message. And that message, when it's preached truthfully from the word of God, should be the same at Northwest Baptist Church and the same at CBG. But we're trying to get ahead. And there is even a competition amongst churches that should go. Because what are we resting on? What are we telling? My dad used to say, how you get some is how you keep some. Perhaps one of the best things that the Lord could do is bring down these church organizations that are so big and pompous and build it simply upon a message. That's the whole point. The whole point to the passage thus far has been that God loves weakness because in weakness he makes his power grandiose. God loves those odds. He loves the little church that starts out in the home. He does not love the church who tries to impress the world with fancy things. It's the message. So this is the context. Even the people who were claiming to be disciples of Christ 
All of these groups were enraptured by the lure of the messenger rather than the message of the gospel. And so Paul just simply says, my focus of this letter is that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, this is not to take away gifted preachers. Ravi Zacharias is a phenomenal preacher and teacher, but pay attention to the content. It is the content. You know who was a wonderful speaker? Jesse Duplantis. Wonderful speaker. Benny Hinn moves the masses. But it is the content. Some of you really love to hear me speak. Others of you don't like to hear me speak. But for both of you, who cares what I am saying, how I'm, or at least how I'm saying it? Go home and find out if the content is true. That's what I'm saying. Don't make church about men, about things. Make it about a message. Okay. Now, can I preach now? All right, let's look at our passage. Verse 6. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Is that a contradiction? Paul has just been talking. We don't impart wisdom, and now he says we do impart wisdom. What Paul is saying is that the quality of the wisdom is based upon the understanding. The world sees the message of the cross as foolishness, but that does not mean that the message of the cross in essence is foolishness. It is absolutely not foolishness. It is the wisdom of God. There is nothing more wise than the wisdom of God. So Paul says, yet among the mature we impart wisdom. Who are the mature? Some of us might, and, and even I was, was susceptible to this earlier on when I was doing my study on the passage, was the idea that the word mature here was a special class of Christian, but it's not. And he qualifies that for us in the following verses. He tells us, for who knows a person's thought? Or, excuse me, he tells us this right after here. He says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Our, everyone who's a Christian is mature. What does the word mature mean? It doesn't mean more grown up than one ought to be. It means one being what they ought to be at the place they are now standing in life. Okay, that's mature. For believers, mature means understanding that the gospel is the power of God and not the church, not the organization, not the package of the preaching. It's the gospel. And it seems confusing here. Because of the way that it's worded, it seems to leave us with the idea that now all of a sudden Paul is talking about some special knowledge or some kind of secret that do we have it or not. But the secret is simply in what God has kept from those who do not have the Spirit. Today we are talking about the secret. 
I am telling you about the secret wisdom of God, which is that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose bodily from the grave, ascended unto the Father, and is now interceding on behalf of all those who believe. That's a secret if you don't have the Spirit. You say, but I just heard it. But the hearing is not the power. Hearing with your ears is not the power. Almost everyone in here has the ability to hear with their ears. But if you don't have the Spirit, this is a secret to you. You know people like this. They know the Word of God. I have people in my life who know the Bible. And who know the word of God and they know the message of the cross, but they will not acquiesce. They will not give their life over to this message. Yes, they know the content. They have heard with their ears the word, but they have not believed because they have yet to fall on their face and to praise God for what he has done. And until that happens... It remains a secret. Paul goes on. He says, in the next verse, he says that we do not, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. He says in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age have understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Carson notes that the word rulers here doesn't refer to kings or other monarchs, but it refers back to earlier in the passage when he was talking about the scribes, the wise, the debaters, basically the intellects of this age. Plato imagined a perfect society as one that was ruled by a philosopher king. Aristotle empowered a young Alexander the Great with great Greek wisdom to rule an empire. The scribes were the lawyers of the law, knowing the language of the covenant better than anyone. The rhetoricians were masters in the art of persuasion, giving to men the words that moved the masses. But Paul tells us, that God has not chosen to bring his wisdom, his secret wisdom through such empty vessels. Instead, Paul tells us that God has brought the message in treasures or in a jar of clay in which he keeps the treasure of the gospel. It is not the messenger, it is the message it's what's inside the jar of clay that matters. It's what's inside the Fendi box or the cardboard box that matters. When you go into certain retail stores this week, you're going to see out-of-box specials. And you're going, there'll be 50 bucks less, and you will want the one in the box. Why? Because you just, you want the box. But you're missing the point. A couple of you are like, those people are stupid. I'm that person. I want the box. But God says the vessels 
that he has brought. They're all jars of clay. That is, they're fragile. They're fleeting. There's nothing impressive about them. But what matters is the content that's inside these messengers. Paul is a vessel of clay. But he brings a a precious message, which is the power of God. When Paul speaks about God's choice to take what is low and despised in the world, to bring to nothing the things that are, his point is that God has chosen to remove the pomp and pride of human flesh by nullifying man's intellectual achievements in the folly of the message of the cross. You will take a class at school, in college, you'll take it on the classics. And you should read those classics. You should read Plato. You should read Aristotle. The best reason for that is it will give you the insight of the day. It will help you understand the way people were thinking. And it will give greater context to people's words. Today... We ought to know the great thinkers of our day so that we have a greater ability to communicate with the people of our day, especially with young people. I get into a conversation with young people sometimes, and I don't know what the heck they're talking about. When they do talk, I don't know what they're saying. They're speaking in code. They're using phrases. They're being influenced. They, have a, they, they are smart. They have a worldview. They have knowledge. They have a philosophy of life. They believe life should be lived this way and not this way. Where then is that information coming from? You ever see it? Now I know parents, you think headphones are of the devil. But it ain't headphones. It's what they're listening to. That's their thinkers. That's their wisdom. That's their worldview. Parents, you get one too. It's from those what you might call stories that you watch with your eyes. Or from the tabloids. Or from CNN or Fox News. And you allow the thinkers of this day to create in you some worldly knowledge. You go and you buy any book that Oprah recommends. So we make The Secret the bestseller book. What's the secret? It's not the gospel. And Paul says about these things, the rulers of this age, they never understood it. It was right underneath their eyes and they were super smart and they didn't get it. And today, that's still happening. The message of the gospel is right in front of their eyes, but they are blind. It is right there for their ears, but they don't have ears to hear. They have not understood it. Why? Because God didn't give it to them. Look at what he says. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. What things? The things that matter. The message of the gospel. The things that have eternal weight to them. 
So you're thin. So you're healthy. So you figured out how to have reusable energy. So you solve the problem of, of feeding millions of people. And all of that will be burned up on the day of judgment. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? The message of the gospel is what has value. Those of us who are poor and who are impoverished intellectually are wise and rich beyond measure if we have the Spirit of God. Well, why is that? Paul says, the spirit of a person knows the thoughts of that person. It's a very simple thing. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the person, the spirit of that person, which is in him. Here are children. They, she did that because she wants my toy. Well, you don't know what she was thinking. It's probably true. But you don't know for certain what she was thinking. We, we, we don't know people's intentions always. We can't, actually, we can't ever know. We can make guesses, but there's no way to get inside another person's body, another person's mind, and understand the only people who know the thoughts and intentions are God and that person. And even that person, says Scripture, doesn't fully understand them. But Paul says it, it's the spirit of a person who understands their thoughts and why they do what they do. He says, now, remember, we have the Spirit of God. He says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You will meet people who will tell you they know God. They will talk about God. They will say to you something like this. I believe God is love. I believe God is like. I believe God gave this. I believe, I believe, I believe. And what they're simply saying is that the knowledge that they have is based upon personal opinion. Influenced by fleeting thoughts and philosophies. I don't believe God would do such and such Someone may say. But Paul says, the only one who knows what God is doing is God. Don't speak for God. Mm -mm. You don't know what God is doing except God. Lay aside your opinions about God today. Yeah. Every view that you have about God, get rid of it. And let it be built up by his word. God is saying, there's no one better in the entire universe to tell you about me than me. And I've given you my word. Now, that's great. But you have to have the ability to understand his word. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So how do we understand what's written in the word of God? Don't think about this as intellectual assent. Because you will also meet people who know the word of God better than you. But that does not mean that they understand in the way Paul is talking about understanding. What Paul is talking about when he is talking about understanding is an understanding that trusts in and stakes one's life upon. You know how I know that? Because if you skip ahead... And you look at the beginning verses of chapter 3. Listen to what he tells them. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. What? What is he talking about? He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it because you're still in the flesh. How, do we, how does he know that they're still in the flesh? By what they're doing. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And here's the operative word, behaving only in a human way. Paul says the one who understands is the one who does. I remember one night. We used to uh, get together and we'd have, we'd have like a game night on Fridays. And uh, I was the first time guest at one of these houses. I'd never been there before and uh, never met the couple before, but I was invited. So I went over and I remember uh, the husband had gone off to just get some things ready and the wife came into the room. She was a Christian. Uh, she's a Christian. He's a Christian. And she says to me, so she knew I was a pastor because we had just introduced. And she says to me, do you know the people who are coming I said, yeah, I do. Yeah, sure. She says, are they Christians? And then she goes, well, hold on. Let me qualify that. Are they like real Christians? You know exactly what she's talking about. You know exactly what she's talking about. I wonder if people say that about us. I wonder if people say that about me. Are you Christian by name? Paul says, yeah, you, you talk a good game. Yeah, you, you say you understand. But, but Paul says there's no evidence. Look, if you really understood the things of God, you wouldn't be fighting over which one was the best. You'd care more about the message than the messenger. So I have to talk to you like someone who's not a believer. Because the believer understands that the message, not the messenger, is what matters. So Paul says, no one knows the thoughts except for the Spirit, who the Spirit of God who understands the things of God, and we have in us the mind of Christ. Now listen to what he says here, to just put a little pin in it. He says, now the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What does Paul mean by natural person? It is the only, it is, as Carson says, the only discrimination that the Bible makes. The Bible discriminates. Here is the discrimination. 
the natural man and the spiritual man. Oh, I believe God loves everybody. Do you think he doesn't discriminate? He discriminates between the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man is in his natural state. But the spiritual man has been given the spirit of God. They have not taken it for themselves. It has been given to them. It is like the wind. We do not know where it comes from or where it is going. But we know it when it's there. How do we know? Because we see its effects. My children, they were fascinated when the hurricane, the last hurricane came. You know, when you're a kid, you're excited. I used to get so excited. I could never understand why my parents were so worried when I was living at home with them. I never understood why they were worried. I was like, we got Rolandans. We're going to be fine. Now I understand. Because it wasn't my property back then. I didn't care what happened to it. Dad will pay for it. He's fine. But my kids, they get so excited. They ask me, is the hurricane here yet? You'll know. How will I know? You'll see it. You'll see the trees bending over. You'll see the coconuts flying down the street. You'll see the idiots riding their boogie boards through the streets. You'll see it. You'll see the guys on Weather Channel. Look how windy it is. No one should be out here. Do you get the irony? No one should be out here. And then they're falling down. We see the effects of the wind. We don't see the wind, but we see what the wind does. Same with the Spirit. We don't see the Spirit, but we see what the Spirit does. And when the Spirit is on a place, there is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the effects of the Spirit. Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. That means he thinks they're ridiculous. And he is not able. Operative word, able. He is free. All of you here today are free to understand and to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have the Spirit, you're not able. You know, some Christians would tell me not to say that. Because they believe that if you say that, the people will say, oh, well, I must not have the Spirit. You know what the person who really believes does? He gets down on his knees and he says, then give me the Spirit! Is that what it takes this morning? I don't believe in you. I don't trust you. I'm sick and tired of what I, what I can't do on my own. If it's the Spirit, God give it to me. That's what a true believer does. And if I tell you that the Spirit must enable you and you are really empowered by the Spirit, you will be on your knees. But the fact that you're not means the Spirit hasn't given you new life yet. You're still holding on to the natural man. Paul says, 
No, the things of God, if we really want to know them, they're spiritually discerned. You have to understand them by the Spirit. The difference between the neophyte and the intellectual who knows how to parse words in a text is the difference between one who understands with his heart versus one who understands with his brain. And Paul says here, the spiritual person, this is a very mysterious verse, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. One year ago, this week, I had a person call me up out of the blue. Get a call, bring, someone's on the phone for you. Okay, who is he? Uh, He's looking for a church. Fine. Hello. Guy starts to tell me he's looking for a church. And he says, yeah, I've been out of the church for about two years, and I've been looking for churches, but none of the churches are as good as the sermons I'm hearing from John Piper. Uh, That may be true, by the way. Uh, That may be true. By the way, do not ever think that there aren't some pastors who just have more of a certain gift than others do. So I said to this man, I said, so you're not going to church because you're saying you're, you're hearing sermons, you're not hearing sermons preached like by Piper, but are, you, are there churches, and I know there are, we're one of them, one of those churches that preaches the truth of God, go to that church. I said to him even this, I said, listen, I know one thing, if John Piper heard you say that statement, he would rebuke you. He would tell you to get your rear end into church. Now, that's exactly what I said to him, which is probably why this conversation went downhill after that. (laughs) You know what he said to me? He said to me, 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. He said I had judged him, that I told him he was wrong. But according to him, a verse that is supposed to bring humility had wrought in that heart great conceit. Now, I don't know whether he was saved or not. I just know he wasn't behaving like a saved person at that moment. Because saved people want to be with the people of God. Saved people don't build their faith on the messenger, but on the message. He said to me, you're a false teacher. Now, I thought that was rather ironic since he just told me that he couldn't be judged, but now he was judging me as a false teacher. That's not what this verse means. Paul says here, all things, but it cannot mean all things absolutely. Otherwise... You wouldn't need tutors. I just caught the eye of my tutor. Mr. Mr. Hearn was my tutor. He taught me how to do math when I was working here as a teacher so that I could figure out enough to pass my class test at FIU. Some of you don't know what that is. It's because you did well enough on your SAT math portion to not have to take it. But I didn't, and I needed a tutor. But the all things here isn't all things absolutely. It is all things that are sufficient for salvation. 
If you have that this morning, listen, listen to me. If you have the knowledge of salvation this morning, you have more wisdom than all of the wisdom of the world put together. Your wisdom is the wisdom that has come from the Spirit and it will last into eternity. But all things simply means understanding what is sufficient, what is equally plain in and of itself. The intellectual and the neophyte equally are saved by understanding and trusting in the cross of Christ. And so when Paul says all things, he simply means not a quantity of things, but a quality of things. Namely, that the message is the power of God. And then he says here that he's to be judged by no one. What does that mean? The no one there is the person outside the community of faith. Who cares what the world tells you? Who cares what the world says about your gospel? When you're afraid to post something about the gospel of Jesus Christ on your Facebook because someone other than a saved person will judge you for it, who cares? They have no right to judge you on anything. Why? Because the things of God are spiritually discerned and they don't have the spirit. If they did, they would say amen and give you a like. But the things of God are spiritually discerned, so they don't have the right to judge you. Oh, you, I remember. I re, oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember this guy saying to me, you believe that F and B is what he said. BS, F and BS is what he said. I used to run with, I was in the golf business for seven years. That's the most immoral business next to like the drug trade that you'll ever be in. And there might be more morality amongst drug dealers than there are there. It's a bunch of rich men who don't have the gospel and who are away from their wives. You just imagine what you'd see in that place. But remember, they, and they just mocked it, and they began to laugh at me. That really hurt me, as it would hurt any of you. But when we really grasp what Paul is telling us here, we understand they are the ones who stand judged. They are the ones who stand condemned. You are the one who stands justified. Blessed are you, said Jesus, when men say all sorts of things about you and persecute you for my name's sake. Blessed. Why? Because you have the things of God. And you're judged by no one because you stand forgiven in Christ. Paul says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Uh, but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. This morning, if you stand there, in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've given your heart to him and you trust him to take away all of your sins that didn't come from you none of it you know I talked about this week that we needed to give thanks for all of the things that we've been given 
But Paul tells us this mind of Christ. Yes, Jesus has been crucified. But without the spirit, you cannot stake your life on that. It is the spirit who understands the things of God. And that spirit has come from God alone. Do you trust God's word when he says that he was the one who gave you his spirit? When in Ephesians 2, 1, he says, for you were dead in trespasses and sins. And in verse 5, he says, but God made you alive. Believer, if you do this week, praise God all week long. Give thanks for all of the things that he gave you. Give thanks for the nice BMW you have. Give thanks for the delicious food. But do not neglect to give what is of supreme importance. Thanks to God that he gave you his spirit to grasp and understand the things of God. Father, we praise you. What work you've done. We come here today to give you all the glory. There's no glory in the flesh. The messenger is not the central part of our salvation. It is the message, and we understand that message because you have given us your spirit Many will hear, Jesus, you were the one who said, many will hear, but only few are chosen. And to those of us who stake our life on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we simply say, thanks be to God. Amen.